Welcome to Our Faith in Writing. I'm Charlotte Donlin. As a writer and a spiritual director for writers, I believe writing and reading help us belong to ourselves, others, God, and the world. Our Faith in Writing explores the intersection of writing and faith through conversations about the writing process, the reading life, contemplative practices, and more. Thanks for listening. You're about to hear an episode from one of my old podcasts that explores themes connected to our faith in writing. You may hear the Lists of Nine podcast or the Art and Faith Unplugged podcast mentioned during this episode, and that's okay. You're still here with us at Our Faith in Writing. Thanks again for listening. My guest is Chandra White Cummings. Chandra is a writer, editor, and founder of CWC Media Group and Transforming Justice. She's a learning cohort on, uh, which is a learning cohort on issues of racial justice. She is a certified trauma healing group facilitator and trainer with the American Bible Society's Trauma Healing Institute and covers adult trauma healing, healing for caregivers, sexual assault sur- survivors, and general or- generational trauma healing between Black and white America. Chandra has two young adult sons and lives in Virginia. Welcome, Chandra. Thanks so much for talking with me again. No, oh, thank you. I'm I'm just as excited now as I was the first time. <laughs> okay. And um, any listeners, we are now recording um, part two of our conversation. If you haven't listened to part one, I encourage you to do so, um, where Chandra and I talked about a very different topic. And we are... Um, not going to talk about that topic right now, um, mm-hmm. unless it relates to um, other things and ways that Chandra wants to talk about. Um, also, I want to remind listeners, as you might have noticed when I just flubbed my way through Chandra's bio, that hopefully you could hear. I kind of feel like I should um, read it again, but it will be on um, the show notes for this episode. Um Art and Faith Unplugged, one reason it's unplugged is that I don't have an editor or a producer. I don't slice and splice um, my mistakes. So there are mistakes um, already. And if Chandra and I um, misspeak or need to correct ourselves, we will do so and then keep talking like in a normal conversation two people might have in real life. We are actually in real life having this conversation, aren't we? Yes, we are. (laughs) Um, Okay. So I want to talk about how art um, affects you and your creative life and how you use it in your work as a writer and as a um, trauma healing group facilitator. So um, my first question is um, just to hear a bit about your faith and creative work now and how um, how does art affect, I'm sorry, how does, well, they can go both ways. How does faith <laughs> create mm-hmm. um, affect your creative work and how does your creative work affect your faith? Mm-hmm. Um, I like that question. It's a good question. Um, let me just first say that I have had um, sort of little mini transformations in how I approach my work. Um, I do a lot of different things. Um, I do things that draw on very different parts of my brain 
literally my personality. Um, if I, like a couple months ago, I helped my mom work through a contract negotiation on selling a home. That's a very different exercise than if I'm trying to put together a trauma healing group, which is a slightly different exercise. And if I'm trying to um, work on this assignment, this project I have to do um, kind of a academic type report on something that's going on in education. So those are three very different things. But um, what I have found is that it's very important for me to bring my whole self to each one of those things separately. And for me, what I have found has happened is art, not only my art, the art that I produce through writing videos, podcasts, whatever I'm doing, studies, it, but the art that other people produce is like a gateway for me to go, to keep the lines of communication, the lines of creativity, the lines of expression open between me and God. Hmm. Um, I don't see God as kind of standing off to the side when I do my creative stuff. Um, so it has really, I think, broadened and deepened my work on all fronts to really understand that art is this kind of portal, like that keeps things flowing. It keeps, you know, the gray matter working. It keeps the heart kind of engaged um, in what I'm doing. So for example, um, I also have an outreach called the Josiah project, which is, um, a, a, um, an outreach of support and healing for black mothers. Mm-hmm. And, um, one of the, it's very new, but one of the first things we did was we, um, held what, what we called a day of remembrance and healing for black mothers and the children they've lost because that was something that I came to understand is a huge like rock that sits in the heart of black mothers. They, their relationship with their children is extremely complex. And so many of us have just lost children. That's just the bottom line. So we put this day together. And one of the things that I did is because I know there's like this reticence to even come to the table about this with black women, right? They, you know, all of us have been strong black women, you know, blah, blah, blah. So to even get black women to come to the table, to even deal with their grief over their own children um, can be a tremendous hurdle. So in order to try to uh, set the stage or create a tone and an atmosphere for this, I played a song by Lauren Daigle called Rescue. And um, first of all, I played it for myself the night before the event because I wanted to get my own self in the heart and headspace for how to do this and how to produce this event. And it just like, you could almost hear the, the, the walls cracking Mm -hmm. because to remind women or anybody that God is a rescuer among the other things that he is, it does something to your soul. Um, And there's just no getting around that. So, you know, I do uh, use a lot of music and um, there are art exercises that are built in to trauma healing work because those are proven uh, mental health practices. And that's what I love about the work that I'm doing. It's Bible based, but it is um, also gives the credence to evidence-based mental health practices. And that's one of them, the incorporation of creative arts 
and other ways for people to express themselves. In my own life, um, Oh, this is a fun example. I did a series uh, several years back for a publication that I was the managing editor for, and it was a series called um, The Inner Lives of Black Boys and Men. And what I was trying to do was show that black boys and men are very emotionally rich and complex. They're not just sort of these grunting Neanderthals um, who really don't feel much and don't, you know, um, just don't engage emotionally. So I started writing the series, but the impetus for that series was one day, my younger son and I, he was, uh, he was probably about 19 back then. We were driving, doing errands in the car and a song came on, which he was listening to himself on his headphones. And he said, you've got to hear this song. And I was like, oh, no, I don't. Because <laughs> at that time, I mean, I kind of had an idea of what he was listening to. I was like, oh, no, that is not, I don't want to hear all that. And he was like, no, no, no. He's like, no, you just, you're going to like this one. Well, it was a song by Kid Cudi, who I don't know if any of these listeners are going to know who that is, but some of them will. Um, I think some of them will. Yeah, who, who was a rapper, um, very popular at the time, but he was having mental health issues, which were kind of getting more visibility. And he was in this song, he was talking about the fact that he was struggling um, and that he needed help. You know, he wanted somebody to listen and it just like gripped my heart. And I thought, wow, here is a young African-American dude who's just putting it out there. And so I said to my son, I said, you know, I had to write about that. And I did. So, you know, music and film, um, I worked on a piece called uh, Let's Take the Lesson, and that comes from um, Remember the Titans, where Boone, when they're at the Gettysburg Cemetery and the smoke is rising dramatically, you know, from the earth, and um, he gives them that little speech, and that's one of the, you know, last thing he says is, look, let's take a lesson from the dead, and if we don't come together like right now, we're done. It's over. And I just thought that was so compelling. So Mm -hmm. art in a lot of different forms is very much a part of my creative work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I appreciate you sharing those experiences and insights and um, ways that art has cracked the walls. I love that (laughs) um, kind of image of, you know, the walls that we build up around ourselves. Um, Mm-hmm. being you know cracked and falling down a little bit or at least you know a little chunk falling off here and there um, yeah big difference <laughs> yeah um yeah so and also I want to make sure the um pieces that you've mentioned are those still found online are those pieces I can link to in the show notes for this episode for people that want to read those um, if they go to the if they go to my um, portfolio site mm-hmm. they should be able to find those Great. Okay. And I will include the link to Chandra's portfolio site in the show notes for this episode, along with her um, bio and other things that I (laughs) jumbled up there. Um, And thank you so much for your graciousness and being willing to be on a podcast episode where, you know, there will be no editing. Um, I love the fact that there will be editing. (laughs) Okay, good. Thank you. Um, So my next question is, um, what are some practices that help you rest and flourish as a writer and trauma healing group facilitator and in your other roles as a mom and um, Mm -hmm. 
others that you have? Mm. Um, I would say that, and this is something that has been um, kind of a recent commitment. Um, I was sort of doing it off and on before, but um, practicing taking a Sabbath and being um, kind of immovably committed to that. It really changes things. It changed things for me because I am a person who is very driven, um, which is not, that's not where I wanted to be anymore. I used to take pride in being driven. Um, I recognized that some people did mean it as a compliment because it was like, oh, women, you know, they're so driven. Um, and so I knew that people didn't mean it like nicely, but I kind of took a little bit of pride and I was like, yeah, I'm driven, you know, I'm trying to accomplish things. I'm trying to keep it cracking, you know, um, get things done. But what the Lord showed me is that, yeah, I know you think you got it going on with that, but that's not really what I want for you. And the reason he didn't want it for me was because it was playing into insecurities and deficiencies that had developed within me because of how I was raised to be a perfectionist. And he was like, perfectionism is not your friend. Perfectionism is not my standard even. Um, faithfulness is my standard, period.com. That's it. He, he helped me get into my mind and spirit that that is what he's looking for, not perfectionism. And so he had to like literally squeeze it out of me so that he could put in. And I thought, well, how am I going to do that? I've been living this way forever, you know, my whole life. But um, that's, that's, that was the answer that appeared to me, that came to me as an answer to my question. And I was like, duh, it's right there. It's <laughs> like, why did I think of that? Why did I know that? Um, because I'm me. That's why. Um, but Sabbath has become very important because it forces me each and every seven days to lay down my weapons of mass production and <laughs> just depend on God that whatever I have not been able to get done in these six days before this, it's going to be okay. Um, and that was very necessary for me to come to because I was working a lot and I, along with the way I worked, it was a very kind of uptight, very stress-filled approach. By observing a Sabbath, um, it because I know that I'm only human and I'm willing to embrace that, I'm not just accepting it as a can't change anyhow type of reality, but I'm saying, you know what, God, there's, there's, there's some benefit in that. Um, it has allowed me to really relax in those six days that I have and not be so driven. The reason why I came to understand that as not a good thing um, and is because what God showed me is that, for example, in the imagery of him being a good shepherd, he leads, he doesn't drive. Um, he leads his sheep, you know, from the front follow me. It's like that kind of imagery. It's not let me go behind you and, you know, whip you into shape and, you know, mm -hmm, put mm -hmm. the lash on you. Um, and I needed that um, transformation in my mind um, to because it changed how I approach my work. So that's one thing is a Sabbath. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing that has really, really helps me is what I call um, soapboxing or selective venting. 
I have like <laughs> two people that I can just totally like cut loose. <laughs> I can totally rant. There's no judgment. I know they're not going to judge me and they're really not even going to say very much. Um, but they're just going to embrace me and love me. And sometimes they join me because they're like, I know. (laughs) I love this. Sometimes as a spiritual practice. Yes, I have to do it. Um, Because again, I found myself being all bottled up and this, this um, sort of very deep, constant churning that was going on. I could feel it. And then what began to happen was because our bodies are not designed to endure that level of intense um, tension for as long as I was living it, my body started breaking down. Mm-hmm. And I had never in my entire life had high blood pressure or hypertension, but now I do. Yeah. Um, and that was serious to me. And I thought, oh, whoa, wait, stop. <laughs> Something has it's got to change. Like, you know, I need my physical body to do the work that I do that I'm called to do. So I I can't just be all broken down. Um, And the last thing I would say is prayer. Prayer um, for me is an absolute anchor. And I do some of my venting in prayer uh, because I know I'm of the mind and I know people would differ. I love them. I hope they love me still Um, is that I think God handles my venting just fine. You know, I'm not crazy. Like I'm not going to be saying crazy stuff to God, you know, but I'm, I'm going to tell him how I feel about things. I ask him my questions that I have. Um, I wrote a lament last night in a session that I was in. We had to write a lament and I was like, Lord, these people are going to be like, what is wrong with this girl? But, but they weren't because that's what we were there for. And I'll, I'll tell, I'll, I'll share this lament with you. Yeah. I would love to hear it. Um, this was for facilitators of color that do um, trauma healing work. And they asked us to write a lament. And this was mine. I know all power belongs to you, Lord, but why do your people seem to lose so often? Do I sound crazy? Am I missing something? Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And I say things like that on the regular to God because I know that he cares about me. He cares about all of this angst that builds up, you know, over different things. I can tell him without him worried about me being politically correct that I sometimes resent white women because nothing gets looked at, paid attention unless they're saying it. Mm. And that just feels fundamentally unfair to me. Um, Now, because I was willing to say it, he's helping me work through it, right? He's yeah. helping me, if that makes sense. Oh, it definitely makes sense. Um, I mean, with the book I wrote on um, loneliness and belonging, that was one of the lessons I learned um, from research and from experience is that um, the more I talked out loud about my experiences with loneliness, the less power loneliness had over me. Um, and now I rarely, I mean, I wrote a book about it and I'm like, I don't feel that lonely anymore. Um, and I do think it was, you know, that we lose um, some of the shame when we talk about things like loneliness. I don't know if there's shame in you having that thought. Um, I don't know there if is. you have shame about that. Yeah. That you would even have that thought yes. or. Okay. 
Yes. So I do think saying things out loud um, releases us from the shame and it, it also um, frees us to talk about things that other people are thinking also, you know, (laughs) and you know, if we all feel ashamed of it, we're all holding it in and then we're all bound up and getting high blood pressure. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, thank you so much for your honesty and for um, voicing things that need to be voiced. Um, I do have one question about your practicing the Sabbath. Um, Mm -hmm. How have people responded to you? Like how have the people you work with or your family or whomever um, who was so used to you coming through um, in certain ways because you're um, so, you know, focused on producing things and maybe even being a perfectionist, Um, Since you've been practicing the Sabbath and have experienced some freedom and rest in that way, what has happened around you? Um, I think that my sons appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Um, My younger son especially would say to me often, why don't you ever rest? He would say, you know, and if I did, like if I caught myself, if I was just exhausted and I said, you know, I think I'm going to have to take a nap. And he would say, why do you say it as an apology? Like, mm-hmm. why do you feel that you have to apologize because you need to rest? Um, and he would, you know, if I lay down, he will go into protective mode. He'll keep my other son away from me. He'll be like, get back from that door. You know, I can hear him like, <laughs> <laughs> whispering outside the door. Like, Leave her alone. Mom's sleeping. Mom's resting. Leave her alone. Um And so I'm very grateful for that support because it's not easy for me to, um, the Sabbath is a very much a relinquishment and a surrender to me, you know, and for a black girl who um, just felt that was her identity and who felt that that's the only thing she had to offer was her productivity. That's a huge, huge life change. But I forgot who I was dealing with. I forgot I was dealing with God. <laughs> As the black those costals say God. You know, I forgot I was dealing with him. Like God, you know, he's able to do these things. He's able to help me. So my sons have been extremely supportive. <laughs> you have to know my mom, bless her heart. When I explained to her about this, she said, why are you doing it on a Sunday? That was her first question. Oh wow. I said I didn't even say anything, Charlotte. I just listened. And then finally she talked herself into this statement, which was the last thing she said. Well, you know, you're doing it. That's the point. You're trying to get closer to God. And that's really the point, isn't it? <laughs> it's like, bravo, <laughs> bravo, mom. She got it. But um, yeah, they, they, I think, especially my sons recognized that uh, it was something I needed. Because they could see, I think, without me even realizing that they could see this, they could see my weariness. Um, and they could see that weariness spilling over into other areas of my life. Um, and, you know, my younger son, he's just so brutally honest. Um, and one day he said to me, he said, Mom, he said, you're letting yourself go. So my first um, thought was to rise up like, boy. <laughs> <laughs> are you talking to? Right. But then I thought about, and I was like, you know, he's just saying it out of love. Like he's concerned about me. Um, and I said to him, I said, son, what exactly do you mean by that? 
And he said, well, he said, you know, you don't rest, you don't take walks like you used to, um, you know, you don't talk to your, like Marsha, who's my best and closest friend. He's like, you don't talk to hers. You know, I don't see you talking to her. Um, he's like, you just, I don't know. You're just, you seem like you're kind of um, not really taking care of yourself. And I said, oh, I see what you mean. I see what you mean. Um, and he said, you know, I noticed that you're eating a lot of fast food lately. I mean, he was very specific with me. And it just, it was so life-giving. It was so life-giving to me because here was a young guy, a young man who had the insight to see that his mom was experiencing a type of decline that um, is, can be very subtle, but can be very dangerous. Um, and I wasn't really writing that much because I just didn't have much to give. I had still had things to say. I just, I didn't have much to give though. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not just a matter of the saying, it's the giving. And I was empty. I didn't have anything else to give. So um, I think the reactions have been really supporting me in in that decision. Well, that's wonderful to hear. Um, I know when we make big changes, significant changes um, that are different, you know, obviously than things we've done our whole lives, it can disturb everyone around us. So uh, it's wonderful to hear that everyone's being supportive and, um, and even speaking truth to you and encouraging you in those ways. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would love to hear a little bit about some of your favorite writers, thinkers, artists, musicians, who, um, whose work and even whose, um, the way they interact with art helps you feel less alone. Mm, okay. Um, I just love this question because it gives me a chance to talk about, um, you know, people that kind of speak to me um, mm-hmm. and what I sort of sustain me. So um, a writer that I really just, and writing is not even really her main thing, but she is, she does write. But um, Karen Ellis is somebody that I just, I love her spirit and the way she comes across in her writing, um, in her work that she does with the Reformed Theological Seminary, all of that. I mean, because she's a theologian, she's a writer, um, you know, she's a missionary. And those things are like, they give me a chance to do something and think about something other than race or being Black necessarily, because she doesn't frame it that way. Um, so it's to me, I get like an exhale when I read her stuff or look at what new initiative she's doing through um, the RTS. So and she's a and she's very solid theologically. So I don't feel that tension that I sometimes feel when I read other writers. I'm like, oh, you know, I'm resisting like all the stuff they're saying, but I'm reading it because I want to know what they're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I she's somebody who really kind of helps me get a breath of fresh air. Um, Lisa Spencer is another writer. She, her handle on Twitter is Theo chick. Um, Mm -hmm. and she is someone similar, but she just speaks truth. Like no matter what, she just tells it like it is. And, um, I find her a very courageous truth teller. And so, um, she's somebody whose work I, I like to read. She's always challenging, always KJ Ramsey, is someone that I like to connect with, uh, you know, sort of here and there on Twitter because she is like the real deal Holofield girl. She's talking about hurting and woundedness and um, sadness and fatigue and pain. You know, she's talking about those 
kinds of very real cathartic things unapologetically, you know? Um, and sometimes as women, we're constantly apologizing for who we are, how we feel, what we want, what we do, um, even what we believe. So I, I like sort of connecting with her. Um, Dr. Carolyn Leaf, who's a neuroscientist and cognitive um, scientist, um, I love her because she is just so god darn smart. She <laughs> is so smart. Um, and she talks about mental health in a way that is very intellectual, um, but very necessary. So she helps us understand that, you know what, a thought is actually a thing in your brain. She helps us understand that the brain is different from the mind. I really needed to know that. That was really a life changer for me. Um, so I love reading. I have like a lot of her books. I love reading her books. She has a podcast, you know, so I listen to that. Um, musically, I like people who um, say words that I can understand. That sounds really dumb, but some people, I just, I can't wrestle with trying to understand what you're saying. Like, I'm just being honest. <laughs> I'm trying to listen to this to, you know, be soothed. To get, I, I don't want to struggle with what you're saying. So um, like Lauren Daigle, for example, she, she sings music and she does music that is raw to me. It's just very unvarnished um, emotion, very unvarnished emotion. So I like listening to her. Um, there's an old, old group called Honey in the Rock. I don't know if you've ever heard of them or if the music, um, your listeners have, but they're in... Um, I think they're from like the eighties and they were very innovative when they came out because it's a group of black women who are like middle age. Now that's the funny thing. They're like these middle aged <laughs> black women now, but they're still grooving. Um, but anyway, honey in the rock saying gospels music, but, but gospel because of the message, they're an acapella mm -hmm. group and they just sound fantastic. They just cool. I'll look forward to listening to them. Um, yeah, yeah, they got a lot of stuff on YouTube. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, well, I will definitely include that link and the others you're mentioning. I don't want to interrupt you. Um, just for people who are also interested in listening, I'll include those links in the show notes for this episode. Mm -hmm. Okay, and please share others that you have on your list or that come to mind. Um, um, I like um, Jill Scott. Uh, because to me, she's similar to Lauren Daigle in that she, um, her voice is not as raw as Lauren's is, but she sings about things that are very apropos. She understands the black woman experience and she's not afraid to sing about those things. Mm. Um, same thing with India Ari. She, I mean, for goodness sake, the woman talked about being a dark skinned black woman who, except for Nina Simone, who else talked about that? Who else sang about that? All right, that's all for this episode of Our Faith in Writing. Thanks so much for listening and giving your attention to the ways writing and reading help us belong to ourselves, others, God, and the world. I'd love for you to visit us online at ourfaithinwriting.com where you can find more information about mass spiritual direction for writers and other contemplative offerings, read essays and articles by writers who care about faith, and learn more about our partners and sponsors. I'd also love to connect with you on social media. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Charlotte Donlin. Subscribe to Our Faith in Writing wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to rate and review the show 
letting us know how these conversations help you feel less alone in your writing life and your reading life.